Welcome to episode two of Club Eclectica. Uh, today's guest is David Evans, also known as Grey Fox Style. Uh, you used to be Grey Fox Blog, David, is that right? Yeah, I did indeed. It gets a bit complicated. Thank you, Michael. Yes, my, my blog is still called Grey Fox Blog, but on Instagram, I did change the name to Grey Fox Style. Mm. And that's because, but when did you start the blog? Because it's been going for, for quite a while the now. The blog has been going nearly 12 years now, I think. Gosh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah 12 back, years. Back in the days when blogs were blogs. And yes, exactly. Well, blogging seems to be, sort of Instagram seems to have taken over in a way where a, a blogging, yeah. I don't yeah. know. I kept thinking I should do a blog and they never got round mm. to it. And it's probably, I've missed the boat. I so think it's I thought, too late. I think the only I thought podcasts, podcasts are all the rage. And well, yeah, that's true. Yes, sports, yes. You know. I've never mastered the technology of podcasts, but the only people who well, do blogs now seem to be brands, you know, who have them. Yeah. Well, you know. every, the thing is everywhere. I mean, we're, um, we're doing this now via Zoom. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a techie guy at all, but I think I've just about mastered it. I mean, we're talking to, I can see you. I can hear you, and I've pressed record, so hopefully this is recording as we talk. But uh, so the blog or the Instagram is where I first met you, uh, yeah. inverted commas, probably about yeah. yeah ten years ago. And I remember one of the first conversations. I think I was on Instagram within a year or so of starting the blog. Mm-hmm. I wasn't very active to start with, um, and then sort of gradually became more active, which. I think it's probably yeah. the time most people joined, sort of eight, nine, ten years. Yeah, ago. I should think I was. Tw- I mean, my original one was twenty eleven ish, and then my current Tintin fellow was twenty thirteen. Right, uh, so ten years. Um, and gosh, yeah, I mean, that's what what a journey it's been. But I, I remember one of the first things we discussed uh, when we talked, you know, talked to each other was I'm pretty sure it was about Prince Charles's then Prince Charles's uh, waxed jacket because. Uh, yes. um, this, by the way, this episode is going to be about royal style through the ages, but with mostly a focus on the current King Charles. Um, and we, we got chatting about because he, he was on an episode of Country File, which is a British program about life in the country, about farming, wildlife, that kind of thing. And as many of you may know, uh, King Charles is an advocate of uh, well wildlife and uh, the countryside and looking after the countryside and all these traditional ways of doing things. And he was on this program, Country File, and they were showing him he was doing some hedge laying. And for those people who don't know, hedge laying is when you take an old hedge, a field hedge, and you chop it down almost all the way through, bend the sticks over or the branches over, and then it regrows as a as a fresh hedge base, an ancient an ancient thing. And he on his where was it? Was it at Highgrove or one of his other places, David? Do you remember? I, no, I don't remember where it was. I, I guess it was Highgrove, but I don't know. One of his, one of his many estates, but he yeah. was out helping his his gardeners or his his um, hedge laying guys with a with a bill hook in hand, and he was wearing this old wax jacket. And when I say old, it was the most tattered <laughs> Harlequin esque thing i've ever seen i mean can you describe what i mean what did it look like to you well, this- I, I, my memory is that it was mainly patches yes um, <laughs> and uh, there wasn't much of the original jacket left in fact no. I, I mean i i'm not quite sure uh, you know what he could have used it for he, he, i've never seen any other pictures of him wearing a jacket no, like no. And yes, it must have been worn to death. So well, I, I think I, I mean, it wasn't his, or it was carefully hacked around to make it look old. Yes. Or he borrowed it from you know one of his minions. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think we did yeah. some digging, you and me, and I think, <laughs> uh, and basically, it was, it's not a barber. 
yeah, I think we unearthed yeah. that it's a John Partridge, which yes. is another old company that makes wax jackets. Yes. Uh, and the sort of quilted, essentially similar stuff to, to what Barber do. <clears throat> and as I understand it, he'd had this jacket for years and probably used it as a general gardening jacket. And it got every time it got torn, he took it to a local saddle maker who put on a patch of a sort of different kind. Yeah. And by the end of it, it was almost like Trigger's broom and only fools and horses. There was more patches than there was coat left. But obviously, and he'd probably spent way more on having it patched up than you know he could have easily bought bought several new wax jackets but i remember that was the first time i thought gosh as i said he could buy as many jackets as he wanted to but he actually clearly likes reusing something and mending something and he like not only likes he likes the way you it looks he doesn't mind actually probably quite likes the patchwork look it's a bit like it's become popular with that um sashi course stitching that's what it's called the japanese style of doing the visible mending yes you know, we, we use lots of but well, that itself becomes uh you know a, a visual thing but um so that that's how we got chatting about um, it was yes that's originally right. and um i think there was a conversation about what tie he was wearing in a particular picture but that got me thinking why this could be a quite a good topic for um for a podcast because Royal style, obviously, dandyism goes back, um, well, a long time, a long time. I mean, I think status and fashion and bling um, and fancy clothes probably go back as far as the Stone Age. I mean, if you look at the age, unearthed old Bronze Age burials, they've all got fancy bronze things with them. The Vikings were the chieftains were buried with fancy things. And it goes all the way through up the Middle Ages, where, of course, they had their crowns and things. And we get to someone like Henry VIII, you know, famously with his cod pieces and his big hats with feathers. I mean, kings and royalty have spent a lot of money and effort on style throughout the ages, I think, to project power and to show who's the top dog. You go on to Charles II in the 1660s, I guess, after the Restoration. We had that very puritanical period during the Commonwealth. Cromwell was all black and very... I don't think ornamentation was a good thing. He came along, Charles II. He was the party king, you know, big old wigs and, and fancy brocade. You go up through the ages to the Prince Regent, um, who became George the Fourth, who I think had a rather well-known friend, didn't he, David? Who I believe there's a statue of him in German Street. Oh, Brummel, yes, yes, oh, Brummel. yeah. And they I mean, were they were friends, and then was didn't. So there was a bit of an altercation or an unfortunate uh, exchange of words, I believe. I can't quite remember the story. How does it go? Well, I, I believe that uh, he um, called him his fat friend or something to that effect. Yes, uh, yeah. King was rather chubby. I expect he spent quite a lot of time eating. I, I th- uh, yeah, I, th- I think the story, the his... story was they'd slightly fallen out and they met at a party and Beau Brummel said to a third party, looking at King, who's your fat friend? about the king and i don't think that went down too well so oh, yes yeah. but he was obviously Beau brummel was famous for being the first dandy and and, and actually um, and uh, yeah um very influential in men's way he was i think the first man to wear a suit as in you know jacket and trousers the same color and etc etc black i think but moving on we've got edward the Edward VII, Queen Victoria's uh, oldest son, who became king in 1901. And he was famous, always being quite dapper um, and also rather large. And I think there's a connection there with the the rule, so-called rule of not buttoning the bottom button on your waistcoat. Well, how did that come about? What was it exactly? The thing with Edward VII and waistcoats? 
Well, again, it was meant to be he was rather a large gentleman, wasn't he? And I believe mm. uh, the story goes, and of course we can't really know whether it's true or not, that uh, he undid it or it became undone after a particularly, I suppose, f- a full meal, I don't know. Mm. And uh, all his courtiers themselves undid their bottom button. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm not entirely convinced by this. No. I have no. uh, not long ago. I did find a photograph of him wearing a, a waistcoat with a bottom button done up. So, yeah, um, yeah. That may have been in his slimmer days. I, I think it's one of those apocryphal stories where, yeah. when you actually dig down, you think actually, that doesn't make any sense, really. And right. I, I think that the bottom button rule, which I think is a good rule, I just think the same with the don't do both buttons up on on a, on a you know a, a suit jacket. Um, I think it's just because it's balanced. It just looks better. Being literally all buttoned up looks too buttoned up. I mean, mm. you could say leaving the bottom button undone, it adds a bit of what the Italians love to call sprezzatura. It's that sort of kind of thing where it's a bit, it's not, it's formal, but it, you just I give that little bit of something. I think it really comes down in the end to how the waistcoat is cut. Mm. Uh, and because of this tradition, most waistcoats nowadays are cut. So the bottom button has to be left undone or else exactly. it's- Sort of slightly bulges out. Yes, yes. Yeah. You can. There, there is a tailor. I, I, I covered this on the blog some months ago. Actually, talking about these sorts of rules and how necessary they are. And there is a tailor who deliberately cuts all his waistcoats. That all the buttons can and should be done up. Yes, quite smart. It does look quite. Uh, well, I think so because to be honest, I've never been quite sure because, like you say, a lot of waistcoats now have the bottom button and the buttonhole so far apart, sort of that you can't, couldn't even button them if you wanted to. Right. So then, but then do you then not button the next button up? So the first bottom button you can't, you can actually button, do you not button that? I tend not to. So I basically, the the fake bottom button is <laughs> obviously open and then I don't do up the, the first yeah. real one. But again, I think- like It's a lot so of, hard, isn't it? It's a bit like not doing up the button of your shirt when you wear a tie, you know? Um, yes, yeah. It, that, that does look- Pretty scrappy, and you think, oh, yes, yeah, oh, and there's, the there's person puts on the time. It's about balance. You're, you're, running, you're running the risk of, um, mm. same impression if you start yeah. other buttons undone on your yeah. waist. Yeah, no, there is. I think, I think with a lot of these rules, I mean, we always say if you know the rules, you can break them, yeah. but some rules I just think they're there just because they it makes sense. Like, I'm mean, talking about suit jackets, if it's a two, like they're all saying, what is it? Uh, sometimes always uh, never as in you know if you've got a three button jacket you could sometimes do the top one always do the middle one never do the bottom yes. one and yeah. two button jackets always the top one never the bottom one yes and i think it, that's a question of if you look at it two buttons done up just looks wrong to me uh, and i think it's a bit like i don't know it's it's it's, it's a nature for example i'm a gardener when we do planting we always do it in odd numbers we plant in threes and fives and mm. you know, sevens and so on we never plant in twos because just two just looks yeah, odd, yeah, doesn't look yeah, natural. So hence, yeah. if you've got, you know, two buttons, leave the top one done up and the, and also you get, I mean, get a more natural look of the jacket. You know, it's not all, yes. all, all buttoned up, but um, so a lot of these rules. How the jacket is cut, because um, again, they, most jackets now seem to be cut in response to the tradition that it's mm. sometimes always never. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but, but it is quite remarkable how many people you see doing all the buttons up. Mm, mm. Um, well, yeah. If, if I, yeah. 
you know, even quite expensive sort of tailored suits. Yeah, and yeah. And for me, it just always completely ruins a look yes. completely. It could be completely yeah. put together, lovely shoes, a tie. Yeah. Yeah. But actually, to be fair, that combination does rarely exist, actually. Right. Yeah. Everything's lovely yeah. and the bottom. Most just, people... No, yeah. yeah. I just think you need to be so careful about rules, really, and, mm. and being too, um, too strict about them. Yeah. No, I, th- I think um, some... Some make sense, like the buttons, just because it looks yeah. right. As, as for no brown in town, all that kind yes. of stuff. I mean, I think one can one, one can ignore that and know certain yeah. coloured suits after a certain time of the day. But um, and it, we're getting on to we're getting away from from royalty here. But again, yeah. yes. Uh, yes. but a lot of it, I think it just shows that obviously royals led with fashion. If if they wore a certain thing, I mean, isn't it also allegedly King yes. Edward VII who brought in the dinner jacket to Britain? Yes. Or the, well, the going right, right back, you've trotted, rather, you've trotted rather quickly past him, but Charles II, mm-hmm. of course, is meant to have been um, the person who started the, the, the three-piece suit. Right. Um, Peeps yeah. records how um, that the king one day decided that, uh, that men were going to wear sort of long coats with a, with a mm. waistcoat underneath and, and breeches, and that eventually developed into the three-piece suit. Right, yes. Okay. And it was sort of a response like so many fashions throughout the, the, the 17th, 18th, 19th centuries. It was sort of a response to French fashion. Mm. Um, the English and the French, have, as you and I know, and I, I'm sure most of the listeners will know, have sort of been traditional friends and enemies throughout those years. Yeah. And in terms of style, um, France has always been, has always led sort of women's style, but um, mm-hmm. this country has probably always led men's style for, for yeah. a number of reasons, yeah. um, but largely because of the, the sort of strong royal leadership that uh, uh, has, has been established to, mm. to start things off like three-piece suits and yeah. things like Prince of Wales check and so on, yes. which I was about to mention. So was it, I mean, so at the time of Charles II, so he was 16, 60s, was it, would it have been yeah. Louis the Fourteenth who would have been his contemporary? Something I like that? Well, yeah, one of the Louis. Yeah, probably the 14th. A Sun King, who was, I think he was quite famous for his big, big wigs yeah. and fanciness. But funny you should men- mention Samuel Pepys, the diarist, who was a contemporary of Charles II, because... I, I remember reading a very funny extract because it was around that time, I think the 1660s, that wigs became started becoming a fashion for men and they were yeah. no longer had their own natural long hair that they were showing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in, in this little, uh, he said uh, something like, I uh, went to my, uh, to, to pick up my first periwig today uh, and he sort of wore it to work basically. And I think one of his colleagues sort of teased him about it because it was, <laughs> it, the, late, it was the latest fashion, you know, oh, you know. Uh, Keep up keeping up with the Joneses. All the youngsters are wearing these wigs now, but it's funny, isn't it? How then, within a few years, that had become the accepted yes. things for certain. I guess the the middle classes upwards would would wear wigs. Uh, I think right. have heads underneath, um, and that went on until well late seventeen um, hundreds, early around the Regency period. It, it sort of changed, didn't it? Um, yeah, and now now it's just barristers and judges who wear them. Yes. Men. Yeah, but again, it probably would have been the royals who led once, you know, once the Prince Regent, the late George IV, probably is the first king I remember seeing without his a wig on in a painting since. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, we're talking 100, 120, 30 years. Um, and then, of course, beards became a fashion. The seventh had a, had a beard. Prince Albert had a beard before him. And I guess people followed, followed suit. 
uh, pardon the pun. Um, but then, so we've had Edward VII, who actually wasn't king for very long, but quite influential, as we said, that the first dinner jacket, we believe, was yeah. worn by him, which, had he been inspired by, an, I think, had he been to America or seen an American wearing the so-called tuxedo named after the tuxedo um, club, or how did it, how did that happen? I can't remember. Yes, it was a story a bit like that, wasn't it? Um, and I'm afraid my memory has completely failed me on that. Yeah. Well, anyone who's listening to this, so we can you know, get in touch or, yes. or leave yes. a comment yes. on the Instagram uh, and, 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 and educate us. Um, and then we move on to his son, George V, who was, in my mind, it's a very quite sort of stiff and, 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 and sort of not dandy in any way. He was the, a, a Navy king, you know, mainly you, have, you always really see him in his, his naval uniform, don't you? Yeah. Very neatly trimmed beard. Apparently, he was covered in tattoos. That's quite interesting. He was oh, a real right. yeah. And, and of course, his oldest son was uh, well, the Prince of Wales, who then um, was it? What? Edward David. Prince. David. They called David. Him, they called him. Uh, yeah, he had lots. But of he became he became in. the later the later Edward the yeah. Eighth. Uh, yeah. And in the twenties and thirties, he became known as sort of a bit of a playboy. I think you know he was, and he was always very smartly dressed in the latest fashions and I think would, would break a lot of rules I mean didn't he wear brogues at times when you wouldn't normally or, or I'm sure I, I, he I certainly wore them. um suede shoes which that's uh, it, suede shoes, yeah, right, suede shoes. Yeah. generally considered to be a form of footwear just worn by homosexuals at that yes, time as they would have been called then we'd now yes, call them gays of course yeah um, so that yeah. was very shocking uh, yeah. Yes. And he just broke the rules, didn't he? He 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 also slightly mixed up sort of English styles with American styles. He 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 had his jackets made in Savile Row, but his trousers made by a tailor in 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 the States. I think in the, North. the horror, the horror, yeah, right? Simply because he preferred the, the, the cut, um, and he was very keen on. Um, so knitwear, which he wore for golf, so Fair Isle became very popular at that time. Yes, yeah. Um, the big old flat caps. Well, Czech, of course, was named after Edward VII when he was Prince of Wales rather yeah. than him, but he, oh, right. he, he did wear Prince of Wales Czech suits himself. Yeah. And that's um, what the what the Americans call Glen Czech, I think, isn't it? Yes, it's, it's, yeah, yes. After, yes. I, I think that was the original name for it. It was... Um, yeah. It was the estate tweed of the Glen Urquhart. Uh, oh, right. okay. um, yeah. And of course, at, at that time, and well, even now, um, estates tended to have their own tweeds designed for their, mm-hmm. um, for their estate workers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they tended to be based on the colours and the sort of shape of the landscape around them. Right, OK. Um, and there is actually somebody who still designs estate tweeds. So, mm-hmm. Um, it, it's by no means a, 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 an art that's dying. No, and so that some of the some of the, the louder tweeds were certainly start originated as estate tweeds and Glen mm. Check as well. The original yeah. Glen, the original Glen Check was was purely black and white, mm. um, and of course Prince of Wales checks subsequently tended to develop an overcheck, which might be blue or pink or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And I have seen it suggested that Prince of Wales check is a Glen Urquhart with an overcheck, but I'm not entirely convinced that's necessarily right. Um, 
it is my favorite pattern that the prints are worth checking. I just, I just, I just love it. Um, it's uh, he was also, I think, quite well enforced, quite loud checks, wasn't he? Um, yes, and and I mean, he actually he's kind of almost, I imagine, you know, um, uh, Bertie Worcester, he's like the Bertie Worcester, and you know, because because he's always been told off by Jeeves for wearing rather loud things, loud thing, rather American <laughs> things, yeah. Uh, and of course, speaking of American things, we all know he then fell in love with an American, a divorcee, and he yes. so he abdicated in, in, in her, you know, to, to marry her. Yes, which also, of course, was incredibly shocking. So I think I think maybe some young chaps thought he was in, in, inspiring because he dared to sort of break the rules and you know get away from the stuffiness, and maybe that's what he was doing because his his father George V, I think, was quite a strict and, and, and stuffy yeah. stuffy father and king. Yes. Um, his autobiography how he's always been told off by his parents for sort of mm. he dressed yeah. so i think he became an individual from a very early age um but of course i mean it is a shame in some ways but he was a very naturally a very very stylish person yes in so many ways but he just turned out to be a thoroughly unpleasant person i mean there's more and more evidence now that he was yes. a sympathizer and somehow yeah. that's that sort of colored our view of him but mm. well i mean quite well, rightly so just because you because you're a dapper chap doesn't mean you can't also no, be a bit well, exactly. of a rotter no and of course his brother then became king george the sixth the queen elizabeth's um, father and the current king's grandfather and of course he yeah. again was quite the opposite because he was very down to earth, you know, family man, and and, and style wise, I mean, smart and elegant, but understated. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, just always obviously tailor made suits and and and, but very, yeah, very conservative, I guess. I, I saw a photograph of him recently wearing an absolutely smashing two piece dog's tooth tweed check, um, yeah. and it looked absolutely superb. I thought I'd love to have one made by that, like that. Yeah. So I think you know maybe in his own quiet way he was. Mm. Well, was a large man himself, but of course he was very, very shy, wasn't he? So yeah, perhaps yeah. wouldn't have gone for the the very overtly think, loud, un- underst- understated elegance. Understated. Whereas, whereas I think uh, Edward VIII or, or, or you know Duke of Windsor uh, just a bit too almost like he was trying a bit too hard. I think yes, sometimes to be a bit. Uh, but um, so anyway, moving on from them, obviously we've got then Queen Elizabeth, but her husband um, Prince Philip. Duke of Edinburgh. I mean, he he dressed. He always dressed, dressed very well. You know, again, quite a conservative style, but yes. you know, the pocket handkerchief and always yeah. like his blazers and and his um, obviously his tweeds and things. Um, but then we come on to I mean, what we haven't mentioned about. Sorry, oh. what what we haven't mentioned about any of these royals is that uh, most of them, um, certainly in the twentieth century, served in the military. Yes, and there's no doubt that serving in the military gives you a very sort of precise um, way of wearing clothing. Um, you you can wear very formal clothes and feel entirely comfortable in them. After mm. march across a parade ground in a a hot red serge tunic and uh, yeah. and a furry bearskin, then you know you're going to feel comfortable in in mm. a three piece pinstripe suit. And, yeah, and it's, you feel comfortable in well-tailored clothes that you look absolutely fantastic in them. And mm. I think that's what lies behind the, the real smartness of a lot of the royals, like, mm. like the old Duke of Edinburgh, not the existing one, yeah. Queen Elizabeth's husband, who just looked absolutely smashing in, in his blazers. Yeah. Yeah. But of course, I mean, also they, were, A, it was a generational thing as well, as in the way society was. But I mean, they were probably wore suits and tailoring more than they didn't. 
you know, right. yeah. you probably don't didn't ever see um, Prince Philip in a pair of uh, jogging bottoms and a hoodie. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, you see, you see them, yes, you know, yeah. occasion polo shirts and an open. Yes, shirt, no. That only when they're on proper, you know, really yeah. sort of beach holidays or actually playing polo. But, uh, but, but no, that's that's quite right. The, the aspect that there was, we didn't have, you know, whether you were a royal or an ordinary person until the fifties or sixties, you didn't have the choice of different types of clothing that we have now. You know, it's no, now no. totally over the top under the pressure mm. of uh, clothing companies. You know, we have to have. No something for everything we do. We have to have yeah. lots of pairs of jeans, lots of shirts, lots of this, that, and the other. And in those days, they would have had a tiny um, wardrobe, maybe, you know, a suit, a couple of jackets, yeah. some yeah. sort of casual slacks, a couple of pairs of shoes, yeah. and shirts, and that would have been it. Um, yes, yeah. But because they only had a few things, they would have been well-cut, well-maintained, and they looked fantastic in them. And, and also... Uh, in a way, that's what the present king is getting back to. Yeah. Um, also, there was there was no for a sustainability point of view. There was no confusion about what to wear because unlike these days, where people can essentially they wear anything to go anywhere. I mean, to a fancy restaurant or theatre, people turn up in jogging bottoms and hoodies. Other people wear a suit. In yeah. those days, I mean, we're talking, you know, what way back. I mean, well, to where we started, probably Tudor times and medieval times onwards, until probably maybe the late sixties. Yeah. People knew that if they were going to work in an office, they wore a suit and tie. If they were, you know, whatever job it was, if they're going to church on a Sunday, they'd wear a suit. If they were going to, everyone knew what was expected of them, clothing-wise, for everyday events and special events. And it was just, I mean, you could say, you could argue it was quite restrictive and. It didn't give people much personal freedom. You just could maybe, you know, kind of push the boat out with a bit of a jazzy tie and then you know, have people raise their eyebrows at that. But but I think at least, yeah, they knew, you know, that you just knew what you were going to wear, you know, every day, you know, in, in the sense that there was these clear rules. Um, but there wasn't... And now, and now there are no rules. Um, so, sorry? There wasn't the disposable income either, was there? No. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you want to have that, that the huge variety of clothing that they have yeah. now, and that's where the, and that's where the term Sunday best comes from. I mean, you yeah. know, the working man, be they a coal miner or whatever, would have a nice suit for Sunday for going to church, and that that yeah. would be looked after. But actually, getting onto it's funny, isn't it? If you look at old photos from, I mean, let's just say, well, I mean, really, I could look at old paintings from any any century and decade and certainly going up into the 20th century I can look at a photo and I can generally tell whether it's 1910s 20s 30s 40s 50s 60s 70s 80s and then once we get into the 90s up to now it's a bit hard to tell but you can look at the cut of someone's suit what kind of hat they're wearing the width of their trousers what ties and actually you can reasonably accurately uh, you know guess which in what decade you're in and I always think that's quite extraordinary because it's most people in the photo are wearing star styles of a similar styles of similar cut, mm. which would imply that, of course, some people must have still worn suits, suits that were 20 years old. But if you look at a, a street scene, most of the people are wearing suits of the 20s. And then when you get into the 30s, you can tell it's a 30s cut and the 40s and the 50s. So people must have, I don't know how, how long they would they would hang on to a suit for. Maybe they just wear it to death for five years. And then buy themselves a new one when a new. I mean, not everyone, but I'm talking 
Yes, because uh, even the best suit isn't going to last forever, is it? No, um, no especially if you, then, wear... you, know, if you only had to buy a suit every few years and you didn't mm. buy much else, then that was probably yeah. and then it, it, that's why because you don't you, you would almost think that you'd see a picture from the nineteen. 19- 30s and you'd expect to see people with still in 1910 suits and some in the very latest 30s fashions and some knocking yeah. about 1920s suit and hats but the same with I mean, you look at women's fashion you can very clearly tell the difference between early 20s yeah. mid 20s late you know early 30s i mean the hats and the hair it's it's quite fascinating how yeah everyone seemed to to follow whatever trend it was from from the sort of most normal housewife to 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 the film stars but uh, and i think that's something that didn't apply in victorian times you would have seen a much wider variety of styles on the street mm. because clothes if they were well made would have been handed down down yeah. down yeah uh, so you'd see people wearing clothes that were sort of made 10 20 years before yes. yeah. very yeah. new clothes yeah. and that was because again people couldn't afford yeah people afford new clothes so Again, this, I mean, actually, that brings me on to talking briefly about film stars. I mean, I think that's probably the other kind of royalty that probably started taking over as in influencers, shall we call it, from probably the 1920s onwards. Yeah, so, by so. the time you get to, you know, uh, post Second World War, it was no longer the royals who were the style influencers, it was film stars um, and yeah. then and then music stars. Because um, I, yeah. and fast forward to, well, Prince Charles, the then Prince Charles, Prince of Wales, he, his style, I mean, even from a young age, as, as a young man, was always classic, you know, double-breasted blazers he liked, um, never went too wild with, with flares, I don't think, if you look at pictures of him in the 70s, I mean, it was always conservatively cut, um, and I think he tends to use, always has used, more or less the same, the same tailor on several rows, is that, is that right, as far as you know? Well, I, I, certainly he's known to have Anderson Shepherd suits, but mm. I, he's also shopped at Geeves and possibly other places as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and about t- shirts, do we know? Turnbull and Asser, something Turnbull like that? Turnbull certainly, yes, and possibly other places as well. I mean, I... I mm. Marks and Spencer's, Charles Tim, maybe, T.M. Lewin. He might, well do. he might well do, I can say. Yeah. yeah. He might go to, but he might have been to Bud, but I just, I just don't know. Yeah, no. I think he just goes to Primark about Pr- it. No. Yes, well, I, I mean, I think, I think you know, you you, you say Primark, and of course, you know, that is where uh, the king is so different from the vast majority of people now who um, are just keen to go out every Saturday and buy lots of clothes and. Mm maybe not even wear them before they go into into landfill. Mm, yeah. Um, and so the, you know, that raises the whole sort of sustainability issue, which King Charles has always banged on about, hasn't he, really? Yes. Ever since he was yeah. really quite young, and we used to think that uh, he was a bit of a sort of a tree hugger. And now mm. we see that uh, all along he was right. Yes. Uh, yeah. and he, he, but he lives by his principles as well. Mm. Uh, some of his suits he's had for decades. We've seen pictures of, yes. him, of him with his um, well-patched lob brogues. Yeah. Um, and they probably would have been very expensive when he bought them, but mm. that he's kept them going for 20 years or so. They yeah. probably yeah. out cheaper than buying a cheap pair of shoes from a high street well, shoe absolutely. shop. Absolutely. And, I mean, it's a, an initial outlay. Obviously, getting a Savile Row suit is, 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 is far from cheap or a pair of John Lobb shoes. But if oh. you do keep them for... 40 years, you know, exactly. years. No, it's, it's, it's cheaper, isn't it? Yeah. It's, um, you know, yeah. And, and so you've got a, the quality of the item um, yeah. and he's obviously got conservative 
cut. So, you, you know, you know, his double breasted soup from 1984 still looks just as good now, even. And, we, and there are there are pictures where they're clearly visible men's. I mean, little patches that have been been sewn on. And actually, I, I think a it's obviously sensible to make do and mend. Um, but it's I think it's quite a, a, a charming, you know, um, thing like we talked about that the wax jacket earlier, of course, he could afford to. Yeah, like brand new suit. He could probably even afford to get someone to do an invisible mend on it. Yes, um, but you know, I thought, oh, I'll just pop a little patch on there. And I think he quite like. I mean, the coat we talked about is an extreme example of it. He probably quite likes the fact that one can see that a garment has had a life, um, and you know that the shoes are, are, are. You can tell they're worn and old, um, but nicely looked after. But at the same yeah. time, they're not completely pristine you know it's it's what the japanese call i think wabi-sabi where there's yeah. beauty and the imperfections you know there's that that's you get that extra bit of it's like actually you know you quite often see sort of aristocratic types um with incredibly frayed collars on their on their you know tattersall shirts uh you know and and it's to them it's you know shabby chic it's a sign of showing again well i'm not trying too hard you know i'm not a sort of a, a reviste you know i've got you know i've got and of course you know they could afford to buy a load of new shirts if they wanted to but if if i were to turn up somewhere uh, you know a, a smartish event with a with a really frayed collar i think people thought gosh look at him what's look at the state of his shirt you know but but for a, a royal or or a sort of aristocratic type it's like oh well you know <laughs> it's uh, so the, i think there's some of that, that that to it again they're not wanting to be seen to be trying too hard you know there's something slightly sort of effortless elegance yeah um, that, that you're sort of going for uh, and it, well it works with with charles and also the way he he looks incredibly comfortable in his suits doesn't he i mean he uh, he's got this habit of when he's standing around he's got this nerves habit of shooting his cuffs as in he keeps adjusting his his um double cuffs and fiddling with his cufflinks he likes to put his hands in his jacket pockets thumb sticking out you know both hands thrust deep into his his jacket pockets um yeah and you can tell this is a man who feels entirely at home wearing wearing uh tailoring where some people when they put on a suit because they're not used to it feel they look very stiff and buttoned up and, and uncomfortable but as you and i know a well-cut suit um can be just as comfortable as wearing a pair of jeans really um i mean i i, I people often say to me well, aren't you uncomfortable you know like, well no it's, it's anybody it's a pair of trousers <laughs> and you know a jacket not really that different to a pair of jeans and a you know a, a casual jacket but um no I'm, I'm i have to say i'm a fan of, of king charles in general and his style um i mean his ties you can tell they're often quite ancient he wears a lot of regimental ties um from the many regiments he's associated with i remember once having a discussion on instagram could have been with you where there was one particular striped tie and we were trying to work out whether it was the royal air force tie or it was some old regimental tie or school tie or whatever but it turned out he just bought it next so um you know <laughs> maybe i don't think he did but um yeah i mean it's it's um it's a funny old thing how how these these people um you know have, have influenced style through the ages but of course they were the most visible people you know they were the, the figureheads of a of a society um i mean not so much now obviously in the modern era but i think a lot of people like us who like classic tailoring um i think rather admire king charles um, and, and his style uh i mean I, th I think you certainly do well i think one of the great things about menswear is that uh it doesn't change very much and so 
we're in an era when classic tailoring and classic menswear seems to be appreciated. So uh, uh, it, 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 it just seems to work. It seems he, Prince Charles looks mm. not exactly trendy or fashionable, but he looks no, no, fine. It's, it's and timeless he, elegance, isn't it? Yeah. I think Woody's got his he, timeless, effortless elegance, where he looks uh, completely comfortable um, in, 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 his, in his clothes, um, yeah. which, is, which is what it should be. At the end of the day, the clothes we wear, First of all, we should wear them for ourselves because we like yeah. wearing them and we should be comfortable in them. And But at the same time, like the king, I think we should also be aware of dressing for the occasion. So if you are going to a wedding or a, a, a theatre performance or a nice restaurant, dressing appropriately, I think not only makes you and your companions feel a bit better because there's something special about walking into a, a restaurant or whatever, and you're, looking, you're suited and booted, but I also think it's for the people, be it the people working in the restaurant, uh, be it the actors on stage, the fact that the people coming to visit them have made an effort. And again, I think it sort of shows a bit of respect as well for, for the occasion uh, and for the setting. If you just yeah. rock up in a pair of jogging bottoms and a T-shirt, it's, well, I mean, it looks like you just got out of bed, which you may well have done, but it's sort of like, it's like it's not acknowledging the fact that I'm somewhere very special and people are making a real effort to feed me or entertain me or, or whatever. So um, I think... It's interesting how women um, tend to take that sort of respectful approach to dressing. Um, and how often when you go out, you see the women are beautifully dressed and the men mm. look as if they've just yeah. come in from, excuse me, the gardening, you know, with their... Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I probably when I'm gardening, I'm probably smarter than the yeah, average. Sure. Well, you, you are a very water. stylish gardener, but I'm sure that if you're going out, well, I know, in fact, when you're going out, you you dress respectfully and you, you yeah, dress. Yeah, well, it's, um, it's remarkable how many men don't. You know, I remember. No, no, and it's interesting, yeah, and the, and the women generally look comfortable in whatever, yeah. even if it's dresses and heels. I mean, gosh, how they how they walk around in those. But as you say, the men often look quite uncomfortable uh, in you know, the, the, the collars too tight or they've got both yeah. buttons buttoned up and uh, too tight trousers and all of that and, and but I think also it's funny I think with British the British attitude to suits or, or men's attitude is is quite different to the rest of Europe and the rest of the world because in this country most men have worn a uniform of some sort since they were four years old and went to primary school yeah. So you're a former teacher, so you know the little kids in, in, in your school, they would have probably worn grey flannel trousers and a white shirt or polo shirt and, and, a, and a V-neck mm. jumper. Some schools still wear ties and you wear exactly the same every day all the way through up into secondary school until like, my son has just left at age 18. So, you know, that's 14 years of wearing the same thing day in, day out. And if they then get a job in an office, like a lot of, certainly pre-COVID, most chaps were probably expected to wear a suit. So they'd go to the Marks and Spencers, buy, you know, a suit with two pairs of trousers because the trousers wear out quicker. So to them, a lot of British men, I think suits have just work clothes with a uniform, something that you can't wait to get off when you get home and pop your jeans. So when they're not having to wear a suit, they'd rather not, I think. Um, and so they either look a bit sloppy in them because it's their old work suit or if they're in a job where they're not used to wearing a suit, they, they yeah, look, look uncomfortable. Or it's one that their wives and girlfriends have chosen for them, and it's not one that actually they personally would have chosen. It's always, I think you always feel more comfortable in the clothes you go out and, and choose for yourself, yes. which sounds like a, a line from a Morrissey song, which it kind of is. But... You went to Pity recently, didn't you, Michael? I did, I did, yes, yeah. And I, 
I mean, I, I've been to Pitti a couple of times myself, not for a number of years now. And of course, in the central square there, you see all these men peacocking. Yes. And yes. I have to say, I've, I've recently begun to feel like, I'm interested to see what you think about this, but I've recently begun to feel that there's an increasing sort of gap between what these fashionistas are wearing, mm. you know, what normal men wear. Yeah. Um, and it's and it's sort of got to the stage where they're they're wearing such extremes of uh, menswear that it, mm. it's beginning to be is not beginning it's 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 no longer influential. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because it's almost a parody of itself. Uh, am I being unreasonable here? But no, you know, no. But I, but I think also we see the same photos every year, don't we? The same people sitting on the same bit of wall. Yes. Yeah. Um, wearing the same clothes. Um, the, the sort of the tweeds in the winter and the mm. and and the blazers and you know the brogues without socks and yes yeah. in the summer and it it's I don't know I'm I'm just I, I just slightly feel now that it's sort of missing the point that you know it's not reflecting what people want to wear yeah yeah no I'm a bit of a circus but of course uh, I mean the reason yeah. I re- I mention this is because it's relevant to what you were saying about. Mm how men now are sort of moving away from more formal wear to, to yep. something that's very casual. But I, I don't think they know what to go to because no, no longer they no longer have fathers who's nope. like they can copy. We've got very Prince true. Charles maybe, but there's nothing else. There's there's sort of no, no, no because who um, strut around at pity, but who don't wear styles that are really wearable no well as we as we mentioned earlier for a long time film stars from you know were the 19 and 10 were you know you're talking about your Cary Grants and your David Livens and all those they were style trendsetters and people looked up to them thought I'd like to dress like that but if you look at modern actors when they're not working they are just walking around Hollywood in a t-shirt and a pair of jogging bottoms gliders or crocs or something so yeah. they, there's nothing, I don't think there's any actors really that would in, certainly, that I know that would inspire me clothing-wise or, or no. men. I think we're almost like in a post-fashion time yeah. where anything goes, and because of the internet especially, we can dip back into various decades. So people might go a bit 60s, they might go a bit Peaky Blinders kind of thing. They might yeah. go, there's all these different, and I think we've lost I think that's the idea. Of variety, isn't it? And yeah. it, it seems to be fashions now are just being invented by the companies because yeah. they need to sell new clothes. Rather than, like, like we talked earlier, if you look at old photos from the 1910s, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 80s, up until about the 90s, you can clearly see the fashions changing every few years and evolving. Um, that's gone. So what they yeah. all wore was stuff that was wearable by, whoops, was stuff that was wearable by, you know, the man on the streets. Mm. Now that's rarely the case. You know, the, yeah. the man on the street is, is not going to wear something. No silvery tracks like a formula one driver for example no 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 or, um, or blow up a blow up balloon black latex suit like was it sam smith wore at the yeah. uh, whatever event That's it was right, yeah. uh, and, and maybe 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 i'm just getting old but um 
I, we I, all are. <laughs> and, may, and maybe that's always been the thing about fashion, that it's, it, it doesn't seem to have much connection with what people actually wear on the street. But if you do look at the, wear those things. If you look at the 1940s or 50s, you saw what Cary Grant was wearing in films and, and, and you know, when he wasn't working. And that is what the man on the street, or yes, em- right. they would wear similar, you know, his might be better cut and, and you know, better yeah. quality, but, but, you know, the average bloke in a suit that we see pictures of now, we think they look super smart. But at the time, maybe some of those would be judging, oh, look at the, you know, the cut of his suit isn't quite right. But I mean, but still, they, even the, the worst dressed chap of the 1930s is still better dressed than most of the well-dressed yeah. chap yeah. these days. And as, as, as for pity, so pity almost for those of you who don't know, is a menswear trade show that happens in Florence and Italy twice a year, January and June. And basically lots of all the clothing uh, manufacturers exhibit and then all the buyers from all the different shops and places around the world come and have a look and they make their deals and so on and so forth. And about 10, 12 years ago, via Instagram, it started becoming popular and the style of street photos. I think it was Scott Shulman, wasn't it? The sartorialist yeah. started taking a lot of pictures there. And then suddenly guys who weren't in the industry started to go, oh, that looks really cool. And they'd start rocking up and parading up and down, hoping to have their picture taken. So this was the first year I've been there, having been seeing pictures from there for the past 10 plus years. And I have to say, I didn't really see anything that extreme. I think it's calmed down a bit with the peacocking. I think a lot of the guys there, you do see the odd sort of extreme outfit or or someone going very colourful or or, or wild. But most guys are more subdued. I mean, clearly much smarter than your average person but 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 sort of well tailored sort of quite um you know well put together in a a classic way maybe with a bit of a a bit of a you know neapolitan shoulder and all those little details that they like to do but um i think it's getting back a bit to yeah there's a lot of people still not in the industry like myself i mean i'm a gardener but 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 you meet with people who who are basically fans or aficionados of this style and it doesn't matter whether it's menwear or model trains or teacup collecting or whatever they'll, they'll always be you find your tribe and the people are interested in the same thing right. you can chat about stuff like, like 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 that forever as we are now chatting about um royal style and king charles but i think we've probably just about come come full circle we started off with king charles's wax jacket um the the many the many technicolor patched well it's not technical it's mainly browns and olives <laughs> but um Again, I think that's what, what got us chatting in the first place all those years ago, 10, 10 oh, years ago. Indeed, yes. And here we are now. And actually, not that long ago, we met for, for real for the first time at the Chelsea Flower Show. We did indeed, was, yes. Which was one of those weird things. We the first time, up, yes, it was, wasn't it? It, yeah. was, it was, but it felt like you came and said hello. And it's like, you know, when yeah. you've known someone, yeah, yeah. Bombers, if you sort of forget you haven't actually already met them. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and that's... Um, yeah, and I might be seeing you on Thursday at, at, at an event. That would be nice if you yeah. do. If not, we'll catch up at another time. Gotcha. But I mean, that's again at at, at, uh, at pity. I mean, I met loads of guys who I've known on Instagram for a long time. But I mean, like Peter Sotolo, uh, Urban Conversation. We've been friends for years online, and and we met and you know shook hands, gave each other a hug. But it felt like, oh no, I've not actually ever physically been, you know, even in the same country as this bloke before. But it, feels like, you, yeah. it was like I know him. Just yeah. like I feel I know King Charles, and I'm sure I could sit down with him and have a <laughs> we could we could yeah. talk about his regimental ties and his, his his wax jacket. But until that time, and I I would love to have you on King Charles if you if you're listening. Uh, the invitation is there; it's an open invitation. 
But um, thank you very much, David, for taking okay, the time. Sure. Thank you. And, uh, thank you. and we'll, we'll catch up soon. Okay. Yes. okay. Take care. Thanks, Mark. Bye. Bye.